here we go. Man, it's good to see you, especially this group right here that uh, I want to say thank you for keeping these rows uh, clear for us right here. This is a splash zone. You've been to SeaWorld? This is a splash zone right here. Uh, man, I know many people are uh, away and gone, and uh, we just bless them. Hopefully, they're watching online. Somewhere at their water park or the beach or wherever they're at for spring break. But it is so good to to see you live today. How, how many of you have had your vaccine? Let me see. Okay. Uh, many of you. Many of you. Uh, um, and uh, we, we're starting to see uh, people come back. You know, it's been a year. Isn't that, didn't that just blow your mind? A year of of going through this stuff, and some congregations still haven't opened at all. So, um, man, we're we're very blessed. Uh, you know, in in my mind's eye, and as our elders met and prayed, we would love. We're going to see how spring break goes, but man, we're really praying by Easter, which is a month away, that uh, we're going to be able to get rid of some cones and. Get a little closer together. Uh, I don't want to say that to f- create fear for you. We're, we're walking in wisdom, but, you know, with more herd immunity and more vaccines, it's just getting better and better, and the numbers continue to plummet, and uh, which, is a, which is a good sign. But we're, uh, we're starting a new series that we're calling The Road to the Resurrection. But I, I want to kind of give you some background uh, uh from a just practical viewpoint, we're taking the last days of Jesus' life according to the Gospel of Mark. You know, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like four different candle, uh, camera angles at the life of Jesus. And so we're looking at Mark's account, which most scholars believe is Peter's account through Mark. And so we are going to uh, be looking at that. But let me let me kind of... Uh, share with you what what got there. Um, some of you are familiar with what visual lethargy is, right? Visual lethargy is the more you see something, the less you see it. A sign or something that is new, it catches your eye all the time. That's why marketing campaigns have to change all the time, is because you get visual lethargy. I, I used to have a friend that uh, he's still my friend, but but uh, he was in. He was working at Colorado Springs at the time, and his office happened to look out at Pikes Peak. And uh, I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, man, that must be incredible every day to go to your office and look out at Pikes Peak. He said, you know, I've got to where I don't even see it anymore. Visual lethargy. So my mind is starting to uh, work around this thing, and I'm thinking about, resurrection of Jesus. I, I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus rose from the dead. Do we sometimes get a spiritual lethargy or a visual lethargy when it comes to the greatest event that we as Christ followers can ever imagine that Jesus Christ himself, yes, he was crucified, yes, he was buried, but he rose from the dead. And, and because of that event... You know, if Jesus just came to do miracles and to teach, that's one thing. But he, this, this raising from the dead is the trump card. I mean, this is it for us. We're thinking, yes, but can we get to that point though that this is where I was pondering? Uh, okay, we do it every year and 
blah, 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 you know, are we getting into it again? Then, this past week, I had a, uh, uh, a, a eye-opening experience, so to speak. Uh, and it just, to me, it just happened overnight, considering where we were three weeks ago under ice. But you're, I happen to be looking at a Bradford pear tree, and there are others that put off these white blooms all of a sudden. And you see them all, all, all over the place now. And, and they'll be gone in a couple of weeks. We realize that. But, you know, when I think about what that tree who went through three weeks ago, and it is now today putting out these beautiful blooms, and every spring when I see these white blooms come out on trees, there's something that just stirs within me that there was death and then there's life. And it was like God was giving me an encouragement that, you know, it's almost like this past year we've been under ice, we've been under storms, we've been under this stuff. And he says, we need to be reminded I'm bringing new life and that we come to celebrate the resurrection. So we're on the road to the resurrection according to uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark 14. You can look it up if you want to. It'll be on the screen as well on your device and in, in, on your Bible. I encourage you to take notes. Please, please understand. Uh, it, it's not like you're going to be tested on it, but you lost an hour of sleep last night. I need you to stay awake with me during this hour. So if you don't mind just jotting a note down every now and then. But let me get us started into Mark 14. And just think with me, is there a place in your life that um, you go back to and there's just that, oh man, that you can let your hair down, you can relax, it's, man, it's that familiar, you can get rejuvenized and this kind of thing. Uh, think of it this way, maybe you graduated from high school, you either went to school or into the military or you went to work and you moved out of your house and the holidays come around and you're able to go back to your old house and you come and just the familiar, the good feelings, mom's doting over you, she's cooking your favorite meals and all of a sudden you're just able to relax and let the wind come back in your sails. Jesus had that kind of place. When I read the New Testament, I read that Jesus repeatedly went back to Bethany. It was a little village on the outskirts, uh, basically, of Jerusalem. You've got Jerusalem, you've got Bethlehem, that's not too far. Bethany, that's not too far uh, there. They're just little villages compared to the big city of Jerusalem. And uh, But in Bethany, there lived three incredibly close friends of Jesus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were siblings. They lived in Bethany. And Jesus loved to go there. And we know there's many accounts of him going there. And you may remember the one of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is serving. And, and Martha starts complaining to Jesus. And, and, you know, Mary has found this one thing. And, and he's not getting against serving. He's just making a point here about spending time with Jesus. But... Well, Jesus is now in the final days of his life. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows his life is going to be given. He's told his disciples this. They just don't buy into it. So in the way to Jerusalem, they stop at Bethany. I think it was a, ch- a chance 
for Jesus just to catch his breath before he was going to be stepping into this horrendous trial that was going to be put before him. So with that background in mind, let's look at the sequence of events that happened in Bethany. And uh, and this is what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Just to give you a, a little bit of a background, Passover was one of the three major festivals that the uh, feast days that the Jewish people were to go to. If you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem as a male, you were required to come into Jerusalem. It was a, it was a celebration. It was also pointing back to when the children of Israel were in Egypt and Moses brought them out. Remember the plagues, the last plague being the death of the firstborn. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, go to Exodus in the Old Testament and it'll give you the full story. But they celebrated every year as a remembrance of the deliverance of God for his people. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, that's what we're talking about, in the house of Simon the leper, go through life with that moniker, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. A denarii was equivalent of a day's wage. So 300 denarii, almost a whole year's worth of income were spent on this um, uh, nard and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, uh, 2,000 plus years later. We're still telling the story of this lady. Um, this is this is a huge celebration that's taking place. A million people may be in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, thousands of lambs are going to be sacrificed for uh, uh, this celebration and the remembrance of, of what God has redeemed them from. And uh, Jesus knows within his heart and his mind that he is the ultimate lamb of God that's going to be sacrificed for the ransom of all mankind. And he knows he's going in this particular Passover, and this will be the outcome. But the religious leaders, the scribes and religious leaders, they are, notice what it says, they are stealth, in stealth. Now, that's a pretty modern word, but they were, basically, this is what they were doing. The religious leaders wanted to bait Jesus to come and do something uh, to discredit him, not so they could just discredit him, but look at what the scripture says, so they could kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. And so that's the pressure 
that is mounting in Jerusalem. But Jesus decides to stop at Bethany to be uh, there among, I believe, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And just so happens that they have a dinner at the home of Simon the leper. Now, I don't think he was still a leper. And if you, this isn't leopard. Uh, this is, uh, now Simon the leopard may be a cool name, but Simon the leper doesn't quite work that way. Leprosy is a skin disease. It's very disfiguring for the face. Extremities may fall off, fingers, toes, noses, uh, these kind of things. If a person had leprosy during this time, they had to cover themselves. When they were coming down the street, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. So somebody would go to the other side, not come near them. Nobody could embrace them. Nobody could spend time with them. That's why leper colonies were developed so that they could be around one another. It was hideous and horrendous. And he no longer had that, I think, because Jesus healed him. And they were at the home of Simon the leper. So bear with me just a moment. I was thinking, who was at this dinner? Obviously, you got Simon. It's his home. Uh, you've got Jesus. you got his disciples. You've got, I'm sure, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there. And then townspeople. They wanted to touch Jesus, get to know Jesus, spend time with Jesus, and this kind of thing. Now, my mind went crazy with this a little bit. Some of you may be familiar with Brian Regan, the comedian. He talks about... If you go to a social gathering, you got these me monsters that start talking about themselves all the time. Me, 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 me. You know, look what I've done. Me, me, me. And he talks about the me monsters. I thought about this meal a little bit. Can you imagine? They're all around the table. They're all around the house. And uh, some guy starts talking about, man, if you'd have saw the catch of fish I had today, blah, blah, blah. Just me monster talking about this. Or somebody says, man, if you would see my flock of sheep. Man, just, they're incredible. And talks about the, himself. And then somebody says, hey, Simon, what about you? And Simon says, uh, have I told you guys before that I had leprosy? And that I looked in the mirror and my skin was disfigured and my uh, fingers were falling off and it was grotesque and I was separated from everybody. Oh, and by the way, Jesus showed up, and Jesus spoke, and he touched me, and he not only made me whole physically, but he made me whole spiritually and forgiveness-wise, and he made me complete. Now, that's going to steal every me monster story within the dinner gathering. But it goes farther. Somebody says, hey, Lazarus, what about you? And Lazarus says, Have I ever told you when I died? I mean, I was literally dead. And they put me in a tomb and they sealed it up. And I'm in there all wrapped up. I'm dead. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He speaks. And what happens is I come back to life. Did I say I was dead? And now I'm back to life. Now, every me monster in the room is gone. Because of the power of Jesus Christ transforming life. That's what was in this room. And then as they're in this room, it says that 
that Jesus is reclining at the table. Now, I know some of you kids are thinking, yeah, mom, look at that. And uh, But you got to understand, the table was just really small. There were pillows around. The reclining was just a part of the culture. It, you could lean, and, and I know you kids would love this. You're leaning on your arm, and you're just eating. So that's the way it is. So Jesus is reclining at this table, and all of a sudden, this lady comes and makes her way into the room. Now, remember I said that there are four different camera angles to this story. John actually gives us more names. He said that this is Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. The one who had sat at the feet of Jesus. The one who liked to always be close to Jesus. And so she comes in and she takes a, a vial of a flask of uh, spikenard or nard. Now let me explain. This flask would have been maybe so tall, had a real thin neck on it. Um, it uh, was made of ceramic type. Uh, they call it alabaster here in, the, in this flask. And inside there was, it says nard, spikenard. Now what spikenard is, it's a perfume that comes from Italy. It comes from a little bitty plant, and it, 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 you gotta painstakingly get the, um, the, get the smell and the fragrance from it. it it's really, uh, quite painstaking, and it is very, very, very expensive. A year's wages. And, uh, it says that it was pure nard. Now, what that means is, there's always been knockoffs, right? Uh, somebody sells you what they say is a Gucci bag, but it's not a Gucci bag. It is a knockoff. Somebody says, hey, I got this Rolex watch for you. Is it a real Rolex? No, it's not a real Rolex. So it's a knockoff. What what Mark is getting across here, it's pure nard. This is not a knockoff. This is not a cheap perfume. This is the real deal. And so she brings this incredibly expensive perfume worth a year's wages and she breaks it breaks the neck off that thing and begins to pour it on the head of jesus now the reason she pours it on the head jesus even says she's doing this before burial to anoint me for burial but anointings were a big deal first of all it was be refreshing from being out in a very arid environment but if you read psalm 133 sometime it talks about aaron and it talks about unity among uh, followers of God. And it says that it's like oil being poured over Aaron's head, even upon his beard. It's a picture of an, an incredible anointing of the presence of God. But she's doing it out of her deep devotion and love for Jesus. She's broken this bottle, broken it, and poured it upon Jesus. Now, this is an incredible picture, and and, the, and it says that the disciples start to uh, murmur. Uh, actually, it's the picture of a bull snorting. That's the word picture here. And they're starting to murmur, and they said, uh, we, once again, we get four angles. John says it's Judas who says, why this great waste? This could have been spent on the poor. And it says because he was the treasurer, he, he said this. But And Jesus comes to her defense, and he says, uh, uh, you know, don't trouble this woman. 
And what's interesting, I found something interesting in this. Judas used the word wasted. Why was this wasted? I found that word used one other time in the scriptures. And it's used in uh, John 17, verse 12. And this is what Jesus says in that particular verse. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is saying as he's praying, Lord, I've kept all of them except for one who is the son of destruction. The word destruction there is the same word as the waste. So what Judas was saying here, she wasted that upon Jesus. Jesus is saying, Judas, you wasted your whole life. And so that's what took place. Now, we we see that she had this extravagant love for Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to address two things, and this is where you can take notes. First of all, I want, to do, I want to talk about this wasted love of Mary. And then secondly, I want to talk about the result of this wasted love that Mary poured out. Uh, one, one author said this, said, Her anointing Jesus' body for burial this way is like giving flowers to somebody before they die. You know, when somebody passes, we send wreaths and flowers this is giving the flowers before he dies. And so that was what one author said. But here's three things about this wasted love of Mary. First of all, her love was lovely in appearance. Lovely in appearance. Notice what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, he said, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? Notice this. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The word beautiful here means lovely in appearance and timing. In other words, her timing was perfect. It's a perfect display. It is a beautiful, lovely in appearance. It is an attraction, not a distraction. You know, the word attractive means to bring attention to. This was something that was a beautiful thing that showed the love she had for Jesus. Um, one scientific observer did a study of nectar-gathering insects, especially the honeybee. And what they discovered, what he discovered is nectar-gathering insects have a recognition of what is truly a, a beautiful flower, that the petals are beautiful, the stem is beautiful, everything about it is beautiful, because they know the more perfect the flower is, the more sweet the nectar will be that comes from it. Insects even recognize this. And so what Jesus is saying, this is a beautiful thing that she has done. It's an attraction. It's a beautiful thing that you're drawn to. You're drawn to this love affair that she has with Jesus. It's a lovely thing in appearance. Secondly, her love was extravagant. I mean, it was extravagant. It was the most expensive thing that she had in her possession. She saved it for such a time as this. Um, it may have been her dowry. You know, a dowry, when, especially in the Jewish culture, when a man was betrothed to a woman, there would be a dowry that would come with a lady that would be of expense that they could live off of and these kind of things. 
Some think that this year's worth of salary that was in this flask may have been her dowry to take into marriage for such a time as that. But she knew the perfect time was to pour it out extravagantly upon Jesus, to anoint him and to show her love for him. And and what's interesting about this extravagance, she didn't care that she was doing it in front of others. You know, sometimes we want to love Jesus, but we need to love him in private. We don't want other people to really be caught into our love of Jesus. And so she's doing in in a public setting. So it was extravagant. It was a lovely in appearance. It was extravagant. And the third thing is this. Her love was risky. It was risky. She ran the risk of being misunderstood, which was going to happen. She ran the risk of losing any wealth she had because she was pouring it upon Jesus. And she ran the risk of criticism, which she got. Listen, you're going to follow Jesus closely. People are going to wonder about you. And they're going to think, oh, he's lost it or she's lost it. They've become a Jesus freak. They, listen, it's risky to love Jesus. But hear me, it's worth it to love Jesus. It was extravagant and it was risky. You know, uh, Pam and I celebrated 42 years of marriage this past week. And uh, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Thanks, Dave. Uh, it's a good round of indifference. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks, Dave. I'll, I'll take you to lunch. Uh, but 42 years of marriage. Now, we, uh, we were high school sweethearts. We grew up in Waco. We actually started liking each other before we had license. And, uh, some of you know this story I'm about to tell because I've used it before. But, uh, we lived in Waco, 15 years old. I, I could not drive yet. And uh, she lived in what was called the Beverly Hills area, which was not, I mean, I, I, I was about a mile away and, uh, in the South Waco area. And she, uh, the only thing that separated us was I-35. It ran from uh, South Texas to Minnesota. That's the only thing that separated us. But, but I thought I want to be with her so bad that there is a way to do this. I had a 10-speed bike. And so now I could get on the 10-speed and go all the way down Old Robinson Road, cut through, go under the underpass, uh, come back all the way down the frontage road. That would have been forever for a 15-year-old kid. So I thought I could cut the time out. And, and so what I would do is it wouldn't take me any time to get to the frontage road of I-35. Now, we're talking a long time ago. It wasn't... It, it, like it is now, but it it may have been. I just don't remember. Uh, so what I would do, uh, I would come to the frontage road. I would get across the frontage road. I would come to 35. I would get across the first part of 35. And, you know, they had this fence and railing in the middle. I would throw my bike over. I would crawl over, and then I would work my way, uh, as Jeff said, Frogger style, uh, to get to... to uh, the other side of 35, and I was there. I mean, it didn't take long at all. Was it was it risky? You bet. Was it stupid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have let my kids do it. But uh, but here I am doing it. Why 
Why would I be so risky? It's because I was so in love with, as far as a 15-year-old goes, with a young blonde that's across the way. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now, Mary poured out this risky, extravagant gift upon Jesus, and she didn't care what anybody thought. She wanted to love Jesus. Now, what were the results? Three quick results of her doing this. Number one result was it was a beautiful fragrance. Spike nard would be a um, a spicy, sweet uh, smell. And it filled, I'm telling you, when she broke it, it would have been fragrance throughout that whole home. Simon... Simon's house smelled good after she broke, and it it changed the culture of the whole uh, whole room. I want you to understand something. When you love Jesus, which you're called to do, because He loved you, it changes the culture of everything. I mean, we come here today. Let's be honest. Some of us come out of habit. Some of us come and our hearts are not here. Some of us have showed up physically, but spiritually and mentally and emotionally, we have checked out because of spring break or work week or uh, our basketball team lost or whatever we've done. And uh, we're, we're just here out of habit. But you know the difference when you come and you're expecting the king of the universe to speak to your very heart. And you come and you want to love God and love others and you want to do it appropriately, let me tell you, the whole culture changes. And that's what happened when she loved Jesus. The fragrance affected everybody else. Tertullian, who was a Latin writer from Carthage centuries ago, said he was talking about his coming to faith. And he said uh, he didn't come into faith because all of his arguments were answered. He said this, But they demonstrated something I didn't have. The thing that converted me to Christianity was the way they loved each other. The love, we're called to love God and love others. That's what we're called to do. And it was that beautiful fragrance that came out. Second of all, it brought criticism. Her result of her love brought criticism. It brought criticism. It, it brought the naysayers. It brought, it brought, uh, uh, people that murmured the, 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 the bull snorting I talked about, you know, that, that, uh, that, that took place and Jesus came to her defense. But it brought criticism. Listen, I believe that when conviction comes, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to change or you're going to criticize. You know what I'm talking about? When God starts speaking to your heart and you know it's true, He starts uh, nudging you towards uh, something either in your life or something you should be doing. And when that happens, we either change and adjust or we criticize. I think what happened here is when she was so loving Jesus that her... Her life was bringing conviction on the rest of those there. 
And they could either change and join her or they could criticize, and they chose to criticize. And that's what we do so often. Have you ever been around that, that friend who's a Jesus freak, that man just loves Jesus, and you know you should be closer to the Lord than you are, and, and that's the way they are, and it's, you get this conviction in your heart. What do you do? You start, oh, that's just the way they are. They're more emotional than me. They, we start making excuses. And then we start comparing ourselves to somebody else that we're better than. Listen, I, I think that, that uh, the result of her love brought criticism. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to bring criticism. You better get ready for it. But it's worth it to be bold. So it was a beautiful fragrance. It brought criticism. Last of all, though, this is the most important. It brought the pleasure of Jesus. It brought pleasure to Jesus. He praised her act, and he said it would be forever remembered, and he came to her defense. It brought pleasure to Jesus. Listen, I struggle with something. This is just being transparent. I struggle with a man-pleasing spirit. I want you to like me. I, I, I really do. I, I want you to like me. And uh, so sometimes when we get criticized or something, we let it deflate us because we have a man-pleasing spirit a lot of times. Listen, I can please you all day long, but if I don't please my father, then I am wrong. But I've learned this, that I please him by loving him. I'm able to love you correctly. And so Jesus was pleased with her worship. The last quick point is this. I'm thinking, why did she do this? Why did she extravagantly love Jesus? I think, number one, it's because she found in Jesus, the lover of her soul, the one who was the answer to all of her questions and the lostness that she experienced. And she knew that. But secondly, hear this. She loved Jesus extravagantly because he first loved her. You know, we sing that song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And then it ends with this. Because he first loved me. You can't even love Jesus unless he loves you. And he poured. Look at the extravagance he went to to give his life on a cross for you. And that's what he did. And he was true life. I, I was reading this morning in the, in in Luke's account of the gospel, in Luke chapter 4, and verse 42, it, it basically says this. Because Jesus had been healing people, the hand of God was healing people, he was healing all these people, casting out demons, these kind of things. <clears throat> and it says they begged him not to depart. That was what the New Living Translation said. They begged him not to depart. They begged him. And I thought, when was the last time, and I, I, I ask you too, when was the last time you were experiencing such a closeness with God that you had to say, God, do not depart. Please stay. It's very, very rare. That's my prayer for you. It really is. My prayer for you is that you would so experience the love of God that you can't help but love him back. I end with this. As I ask you, you're holding your flask in your hand, so to speak, today. Are you going to break it out upon the Lord? What is he? What might you be 
willing to break forth in loving God today, loving Jesus. There was a king who had three daughters. And he asked the three daughters how much they loved him. And the first oldest daughter gave the same answer as the second daughter. They said, Father, we love you with all the gold and silver in the world. Oh, he was very pleased, very puffed up. And he asked the younger daughter, how much do you love me? And she said, I love you better than salt. And he didn't like that answer. He liked the previous answer. He didn't like that answer. And he's trying to figure out his younger daughter what that meant. Well, the cook was overhearing this conversation. And so the next day, the cook decided to withhold all salt from the food so that it was bland. And they began to eat, and the king ate this food that was bland, and he realized it had no salt in it. And all of a sudden, he had this incredible thought. He then saw the force of his daughter's remark. She loved him so well that nothing was good without him. You know, that's what we... We love God because nothing is good without Him. We love you, Jesus, because you are the only one that makes makes sense of life. Even when hard times come, you're the only one. Where else do we got to go, Lord? We just love you. We just follow you because you first loved us.